0: So today, we're going to be carrying on looking at the final part of Ephesians chapter 4. And you'll remember over the past couple of weeks, as we've looked at this chapter, we've considered the implications that it has for us as a church, as a a body of God's people who who call ourselves church. And in the first week, we looked at the, um, the, the, the bond of unity and the spirit of peace that Paul insists must exist amongst us if we are to be an effective church of God. That was the, the personal implications. And we were encouraged to look at ourselves and, and work out how perhaps we can, we can practice those things personally and contribute to the, the corporate body that is the church. And then last week, we looked more at the makeup of the church and the role that each one of us has to play. And, and, and it began, the passage that we looked at last week, with the reminder that to each one of us, grace has been given That gift of grace is not an exclusive gift, it's a gift that is freely given to each and every one of us who follows Jesus. And if we've received the gift of grace, then we have grace to share with others. And so again, it reminds us that that when somebody comes through those doors, they should experience a spirit of grace. Today, we get to the The nitty-gritty. Paul identifies four particular areas of the church that he feels are necessary to be addressed. Now, Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus in the first century. Socially, culturally, politically, economically, it was alien to us today. But the teaching that he shares is every bit as relevant for us today as it was for the readers of this letter in Ephesus all that time ago. So we're going to start reading from verse 25, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and we're going to go through to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may, be, may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I love this passage, because it gives us practical advice sometimes we can read a passage of scripture and think okay it's kind of telling me what I should do but it's not giving me any guidance as to how I should do it and that can be quite difficult sometimes it can leave us in a bit of a quandary but Paul gives us very direct advice here he addresses the problem problems that arise in the church if we are untruthful with each other if we lie He addresses anger. He addresses theft. He addresses criticism. But the key thing that Paul addresses, one of the key things that Paul addresses here is communication. Communication is key, whether we are talking about. A family group, whether it's a friendship group, whether it's a business organization, whether it's a church, whether it's a political party, all of these things, in all of these things, communication is key. If we don't communicate effectively with each other, then we don't understand each other. We don't have the opportunity to to explain what we mean when we we say things. And before we know it, we can hurt each other. We can cause damage. And Paul recognises this in the church in Ephesus. And so he writes these words, stressing the importance of good communication, especially within a church. Good communication reflects a good culture. It reflects that we are a body of people who who live in harmony together with that that bond of peace, that spirit of unity. If you walk into a school playground and listen to the way that children talk to each other and the way that staff speak to each other and the way that the, the staff and children speak to each other, you can very quickly get an idea of the culture of the school If there's a lot of screaming and shouting, then it's probably not a particularly happy place to be. If there's a calm nature, a calm environment, then you can be pretty sure that it's quite a pleasant, harmonious place to to learn and to work. If you go into a business, same thing. You can pick up on, on the atmosphere very quickly, whether people are happy in their jobs or whether they are just living in fear of the boss, and it's not a particularly happy place to be. You can pick up the culture, can't you? I once took Joe to a football match. I thought it's gonna be great, really enjoy it. But the, the appalling language, the violence, the general constant sense of intimidation. I mean she's calmed down a lot now. <laughs> but sometimes we can go to places like this and we can we can pick up on the atmosphere. You can pick up, if a a crowd want a manager out, then they'll be screaming blue murder every time that the manager gets up off his seat. If the crowd love the manager, there'll be rounds of applause, they'll be chanting, chanting his or her name. It's a happy place to be, and it's not difficult as an outsider when you come into the environment to pick up on the atmosphere of the club. And it's also true in Churches. When someone walks in here, it won't take them long to pick up on the atmosphere. So Paul, he begins with a fairly fundamental, what we could say was a fundamental point. Don't lie to each other. Be honest with each other. Speak truthfully to each other. Of course, we can sit there and say, well, of course, that's that's good teaching go out there in the world and most people will say, yeah, it's good to be truthful. But the number of times that you deal with a pastoral situation where a relationship has gone sour or people have been hurt or a job has been lost and it boils down to the fact that someone couldn't bear to tell the truth to confess something they'd done or forgotten to do. And from one mistruth, one one lie, suddenly a whole, whole host of ugly, ugly words have been exchanged. And pain and bitterness and rage and anger have have all been allowed to creep in, and before you know it, a relationship is, is, is just ruined. And it's terrible. And so Paul says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. We are all members of one body. We cannot afford for, 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 for us not to be honest with each other. It should be a basic teaching of the church, but the church in Ephesus needed to be reminded of that, and it does us no harm at all to be reminded of that ourselves. We must be truthful with each other. Sometimes the truth can hurt. Sometimes some of them can be really truthful and say, you know, Tom, you said you'd do this and you haven't done it and you've caused, you caused me real upset. And that can, that can hurt, but it's truthful. The worst thing can happen if someone takes away that upset and doesn't share it and instead it eats away at them and it forms an opinion of, of, of the person that's upset them and they eventually start rotting from the inside because they have this ball of unreleased anger which builds. We should be truthful with each other all the time. In your anger, do not sin. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. Paul is, as ever, a realist. He knows that it is a very human reaction to get angry. Things do upset us. And, of course, sometimes that's right. We can feel righteous anger. When Jesus went into the temple and saw, and saw the, um, the, the, the moneylenders doing business in his father's house, he felt a sense of righteous anger. Paul doesn't say, Don't be angry. That would be an unrealistic expectation. Instead, he says, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not let your anger take over. Don't let rage get to the point where you just lash out and you you say something really spiteful to someone and, and you just let loose with a whole torrent of abuse. Don't do that. Control your anger. Control it. And if you control it, then you'll be able to make sure that the sun doesn't go down, leaving you angry. I can't remember who it was, but I heard it quoted at a wedding somewhere. A famous actress once said, don't let the sun go down in your anger, stay up and fight. (laughs) That's That's not what Paul means here. Paul means whatever it is that's upsetting you, whatever it is that is causing the anger, at the end of the day, let it be dealt with. Let it be talked about. Let the anger subside and let reconciliation take place. Reconciliation should always be in any dispute we have, whether in church, whether in family, wherever it is, whatever sphere of life, we should seek reconciliation. Because reconciliation is a mended relationship which has a future, which can be built on. We are reconciled to Jesus because God Hasn't given up on us and said, I can't believe you've let me down like this after everything I've done for you, after everything I've given you, you're on your own now. God would have every right to do that. None of us can stand and say we've never let God down, but God chooses not to do that. Instead, he sent his son into the world to reconcile us to him. It's an act of love. It's because he values the relationship so much. that He didn't want anger to ruin it. He wanted it to be replaced, replaced his anger with love. Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. It's so true, isn't it? As soon as we allow our emotions to to take over, as soon as we give in to, to anger... There is one that does not want the church to be a powerful institution, who does not want the church to be going out and helping people and, and, and reaching out to the community and changing lives. And if we, if we allow our communication to suffer, if we stop talking to someone because they've upset us, then suddenly there's a tiny little chink in the armour of the church. And as soon as there's a tiny little chink in the armour of the church, a wedge gets driven in. And that wedge can be hammered and hammered and hammered until that tiny little chink has become a big divide. And eventually, it can, be co- it can cause a split. And if we're not careful, that can happen under our very noses. We read, don't we, in 1 Peter... He urges us humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour now a roaring lion is a a big intimidating beast But the act of prowling is a very delicate, subtle, gentle, careful process. A lion's paws are soft underneath so that as it pads through the savannah, I think it's the savannah, wherever you get lions, as it pads through, it makes no noise. This huge beast with teeth like that and that is looking to eat whatever it's hunting, it prowls. It doesn't go charging from a distance, roaring. It's not obvious and and rampaging. It is subtle and it is careful and it is quiet. And it just prowls around the herd, looking for the weak member. And as soon as the weak member allows anger to take control and goes off and says, Right, I've had it with you I'm not doing that anymore. I can't believe this. Then suddenly, suddenly, There's a division between the pack and that member. And that prowling lion strikes. In a church, we must never allow that to happen. We must never forget the prowling lion just outside the door. That's not to say that we should live in fear, we should live in an awareness. Paul goes on, he who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This morning, I got to church, and um, I said hello to people, and I went in, I tried to go into my office, I took my key out of my pocket, I put it in the lock, I turned the key, and the key snapped, leaving half in the lock, and I thought, oh, no. And I thought, actually, that's quite handy, because if there are any thieves in, they might, might be able to use their particular skill set to break into the minister's office. But thankfully, thankfully, um, before the service, we've managed to address that. Um, my own son actually demonstrated um, the ability to, to break into a minister's office, which is sort of worrying. <laughs> Armed with a set of tweezers, we, uh, we managed to, managed to um, overcome that particular problem. It's not for me to say whether we've got anybody in here who has a problem with with stealing. Whether there's anybody in here who who just can't stop themselves wandering into a shop and putting something in a bag and wandering out again. Or whether someone is involved in, in a more serious, a bigger cyber crime or something like that. I don't know. But I'd like to suggest that perhaps to focus on stealing as we understand it is maybe incorrect this morning. I'd like to suggest that, if we read the second part again of that statement, still no longer but work doing something useful, that we may have something to share with those in need. On my phone, I don't know about yours, every week I get a little message pop up at some point that says, your average usage last week was this many hours a day, And it's this much up or down on the previous week. And I always, I don't like that message. I really don't like it. Because I think to myself, I wonder if I gave God as much time each day. I wonder if I spent as much time reading my Bible and and in prayer as I did looking at Facebook or sending messages It's so easy to allow our phones to steal our time, to steal the time that we should be giving to God. You see, when I see that message, I think of all the times that I've been too busy to do something, and I think, I wasn't too busy to spend a couple of hours a day on my phone. I wasn't too busy for that, and yet, did I really need to? No. No, if I'm honest. The actual time I needed to be spending on that device was a lot, lot less than that. We're stealing the time that we should be giving to God. God's given us enough hours in a day to do all that we need to do, but it's down to us to make sure that we use it sensibly. It's down to us to make sure that we have something useful to share with those in need. If we spend time in the Bible, if we spend time refining our understanding of our relationship with God, learning the scriptures, and and familiarizing ourselves with the teaching that we're called to apply to our lives Then we've got something worth sharing with people that we meet. Paul goes on to talk about the way that we talk to each other. He says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander with every form of malice. A few years ago, Joe and I went to Helsinki. We, we went to Scandinavia. it's beautiful. Spent a couple of weeks traveling around. Flew into Helsinki, and it was cold. It was so cold that in the harbour, the sea ice was about that thick. It was, it was horribly cold, really, really cold. And um, one day we went to a fish market. Now, the Finns, they're a funny lot. They call it a delicacy to take a perfectly good herring, put it in a barrel, let it rock for a few months, and then eat it. I don't know if they've worked out that it's better fresh, but they call that a delicacy. So we're walking around this, this fish market, and they have this stuff, and it's, it stinks. It absolutely reeks. Um, to the point that we, we started christening it Hell Stinky rather than Helsinki. Um, and uh, Joe said, oh, look, it's a local delicacy. Tom, try some. I'm always the guinea pig in these situations. And stupidly, I took some and ate it, and as you'd expect, it was absolutely foul. It was awful. Um, and as we were walking around, I just couldn't get the taste out of my mouth. Um, the fish market stank but as we were walking along a lady walked past us she was an elderly lady and she cut through the stench of the fish market she absolutely stank of of urine odour all other smells and as she walked past I sort of I turned away this poor lady walking through the fish market was slightly unsteady on her feet and she slipped over and there was fish blood and guts on the floor and stuff and as you get in these places and joe said that lady needs help but i said you're right i'll hold your handbag (laughs) she said get over there and help us right so i went over and as i as i helped her up i could feel her skin was greasy and and i don't know the situation but but the, the smell was was just overpowering, and I, I helped her up, and other people came over and helped her. And I don't speak any any Finnish, and so I was of limited use. So I sort of stepped back, and other people, other people came and helped her. And I said, to you, I've got to go and wash my hands. I've got, I've got to. Ugh, I just, you know, I need to go and wash my hands." We went and found a bathroom and I washed my hands. And while I was washing my hands, I really reproached myself, because this poor lady, who clearly was in need not just because she'd fallen over in the middle of the fish market but clearly she had need and I was a church going Christian at that point I was relatively young in the faith but I can't use that as an excuse I recognised as I was standing there washing my hands that, that my reaction to this lady had not been one that Jesus would approve of it had not been a godly response instead it had been conforming to the ways of the world it had been a worldly response that says oh she stinks and she's dirty I don't want to go oh it hadn't been Jesus's response which should be bless you I love you let me help you what can I do for you and I really reproached myself over that but I hadn't been in church for long this is going back quite a few years and over the years, when I've revisited that, I've stopped giving myself a, a spiritual kicking over it, which is so easy to do. Instead, I've come to the conclusion that, that if the culture of the church that you attend is right, then you absorb that culture into your being. And when you go out and find yourselves in those situations, it becomes a naturally, natural part of you to want to be Jesus to that person. But it all has to start from the church. This is why the church is so important. This is why I'm such an advocate of the local church. Because we can all individually read scripture. And we can, we can say, yeah, that, that sounds great. That sounds good. But we don't have the strength within us. I certainly don't. And if there are people out there who do, then, then hallelujah, well done. But most of us don't have the strength individually To be able to read the Word of God and go out and apply it without any other support. Instead, we need to come together. This is why I love the gathered church, the gathered ecclesia, the body of Christ, who pull together and who, who fail together, but also succeed together, who learn together, who walk the Christian journey together. If we are together, if we are united, then we learn from one another. If our communication is good, then we learn from one another. We can be honest with each other. And that spirit of unity does exist and it doesn't suffer. We don't upset each other. Instead, we speak with love and with grace and with kindness because we care. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what the church should be. I'd like to think that if I was in that same situation now, having spent many, many, many more years in a church, learning from people who have walked the walk, from people who have got so much more experience and insight into life than I have, having learned that, having absorbed that, I'd like to think that my reaction to a situation like the one that I described in the fish market in Helsinki would be closer to the reaction of Jesus than it was. I'm not saying that I'm there. I'm not saying that I'm the finished product, but I'm further on the journey than I was. And all of us can say that. And so as we read this this passage from Ephesians 4, it's very easy to read it and think, well, it's common sense, isn't it? Of course we should do that. But it's not common sense. It's something we need to be reminded of time and time again to relearn. Jesus when he was speaking to his disciples. He spoke about how we, how we serve him. We don't serve him by coming to church. We don't serve him by preaching and sharing together. We don't serve him in here. He says... For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Last week I, I mentioned... One of my, my favourite verses. We are not going to have favourite verses, because it's all good, but, you know, I have. Um, one of my favourite verses is Ephesians 6, verse 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving man, not God. Sorry. <laughs> Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving God, not man. That's better. <laughs> I told you I was still a work in progress. But you see... The reason I love that verse is because if God Himself walked in now and said, stick the kettle on, do this cup of tea with you, then we would be there would be a stampede for the kitchen. We would all be desperately trying to, trying to get to the kettle or the, the pot water tap. Get the best mud that's got no chips and no stains in it. Would you like fruit tea or herbal tea? Do you want decaf or recaf or do you want semi-skimmed? What do you want sugar or sweetener? Or would I want to make the best cup of tea the world's ever known? Because we're serving God. Now think of the person in life who really winds you up, the person in life that you would be the least inclined to make a cup of tea. The person in life who, if they walked in and said, "Stick the kettle and will you do is a cup of tea," we'd say, "No, you're lazy, so and so. Go and do it yourself. Don't talk to me like that." That's the worldly response. The godly response is to think, yeah, they've been a bit rude. Yeah, they really wind me up. They know exactly what buttons to press. But I'm not serving them. I'm serving God. So yeah, how do you like your tea? You sit down, make yourself comfortable, go do it. Do you want a biscuit? We'd go the extra mile. Whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me if we can live our lives with that attitude, with that reminder ringing in our ears, then suddenly it becomes so much easier to read Ephesians 4 and understand and begin to achieve the model of the church that Paul sets out. My experience so far of NCBC, and I'm not just saying this because I want you to like me, it's not that at all. My experience so far of NCBC is that it's done well in this church. That's borne out by the number of people who come into this building during the week. People who are walking through a pretty awful time of life right now. Whether it's the 12-step support groups, whether it's the counselling group, whatever it might happen to be, they come in here and they receive a welcome. They receive warmth. That's important and that is the hallmark of a church that is well on its way to reflecting the values that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 but those values if they're not kept at the forefront of our minds if they're not consciously worked at week after week they can very very quickly subside a chink can very quickly appear in the armor of the church and that division can begin to happen. So let's pray for each other. Let's make sure that we treat each other with grace and with love, seeking to preserve and protect that bond of unity. Let's make sure that going forward, whatever challenges we face, whatever conversations we have, even when we upset each other and and something happens and we think, I'm not really happy with that, let's deal with it in a way that reflects Paul's teaching from Ephesians 4. Let's use that as a foundation for our relationship Personally, with the church corporately as the church because we are the body of Christ Jesus is the head and in all things as Paul finishes off this, this section he says be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you now forgiveness is a big topic and I'm not talking about about huge issues that people have had in the past and battling with that, that's not something that can be forgiven just like that. Instead, I want to be clear here, this is the day-to-day forgiveness, the forgiveness of the Lord's Prayer, that we are encouraged to pray on a daily basis, the forgiveness of the little things, because they're not so little if we're not prepared to forgive and be forgiven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Father, for the truth that is found within those pages. And Lord, as we've worked through this one chapter... In the past three weeks, Father, there will be areas of it that we haven't delved into, that we haven't explored. But Lord, the things that we have spoken about, the things that you have, you've drawn out as, as we've worked through it. Father, I pray that you will help us all as a a corporate body of Christ, as the church here in Norwich. Father, I pray that anybody who who comes in here for the first time will be absolutely overwhelmed by the love and the grace that they receive, the warmth of the welcome and the, the spirit of peace that exists within this church family. Father, we don't take it for granted. We thank you for We thank you for your your ever-present Holy Spirit amongst us because we know that that it's it's a fragile thing, this bond of unity that can be disrupted so easily. But, Father, we pray that you will help us, each one of us, to choose our words carefully, to build one another up, to encourage rather than discourage, to infuse one another rather than knock each other down. Father, even when we're speaking... Harsh words. May they not come out of our mouths harsh, but instead show the love of Jesus. Father God, we are all works in progress. And so Lord, we put ourselves in your hand. You are the artist that is working on our, on our canvas. And Father, I pray that we would all have the humility to recognize that we're not the finished product, we're not the work of art, but one day, through your grace, we will be made perfect and we will spend eternity with you. Until that day, Lord, bless us, fill us with your spirit, and help us to be the best people that we can be as we seek to build your kingdom wherever we happen to be this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite the band back up to close us in worship this morning.
1: We'll close by singing about the wonder of God's forgiveness and uh, the way that that fills our hearts with gratitude.
0: Father God, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence amongst us. And thank you that as we go out into the world, whatever the world throws at us this week, whatever challenges lie ahead, whatever situations or conversations we find ourselves in, may we rest assured that you will be right there with us. You'll be fighting alongside us, you'll be loving alongside us, you'll be caring alongside us, you'll be giving alongside us, you will be watching everything that we do, and you'll be urging us to be the best ambassadors for you that we can be, to be carrying the torch for you, to be guiding people to you, and to be building your kingdom, always. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.